following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. So now we're going to turn our attention back to Luke, and we're going to look, um, we're going to look at Jesus at a, at a dinner party, which is, you know, like church ought to be. You know, feed them and they'll come. But this is a dinner party held by a prominent Pharisee, um, and we're going to look at that this week and next week because it's a long account, and I didn't want to just jam a bunch of stuff in there to um, and overload you. So um, we're going to look at some of the crucial teaching that Jesus shared uh, there at this, um, this party. So we're going to start at verse 1 and go through verse 11 uh, today. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noticed how they chose their places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, for your church, for your spirit. We thank you that you have preserved your word for us to read and learn from this morning, that we could see your love for us, your great grace, and the wisdom that you have for us to live according to Christ's way. We pray, Lord, now that your spirit would speak, that this would not be my words, but your words. We love you, Lord. Be glorified in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's not uncommon, uh, I think, for people to host a dinner party after worship on, on a Sabbath uh, on, in Jesus' day. Uh, I hope it's not uncommon among us, uh, even today. Uh, but this particular dinner party, um, well, it smells a little fishy. Not just because they probably had fish, but it's a little bit like a setup, right? One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Now, let's just imagine, let's just imagine what the pre-meeting meeting looked like. Like every meeting has a pre-meeting meeting, and every meeting has a post-meeting meeting, right? That's where the real work gets done, and the meeting in the middle is just kind of a formality, right? right? The Pharisees get together. And they talk about how how Jesus of Nazareth is in town and he's stirring up all this trouble and what kind of a sketchy character he is. And and he's threatening their influence and their their prestige and their cultural power. 
Now, this guy, we know he is healed on the Sabbath before, right? In the Gospels, it's recorded like six or seven times Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. And that's problematic for the Pharisees, right? And I bet that if we get Ralph's neighbor, you know, the, the guy with dropsy that's like all swollen up, if we get him to come, I bet we can get this rabble rouser to perform a miracle on the Sabbath and we'll have him. We're going to nail him, right? That's what most pre-meeting meetings sound like. like <laughs> so we can turn him right over to the Sanhedrin and we'll be done with him. They'll, then they'll take him and get him out of town. Now, not that it matters very much, uh, really, what the Bible, uh, uh, what the Bible, co- I got to finish this sentence quickly. Yeah, it doesn't matter very much what the Bible calls dropsy. Um, today, we would call it edema, um, which is just as mysterious as dropsy to most, uh, most of us. But it's, um, it's swelling due to congestive heart failure, right? There's excess fluid in the body, right? Um, and in the first century, um, you know, you just don't take an aspirin for your headache. They find all kinds of other weird and gross ways to deal with it, like bloodletting and, and stuff like that, because there's obviously too much blood in you. Well, it isn't, and it's not your – anyway, it's gross. Um, lots of nasty, ineffective treatments for the most part. Um, where today um, a person would be prescribed a diuretic, um, they didn't have that. In reality, Jesus was the greatest cure. So whether or not this setup was uh, from bad intent or not, um, Ralph's neighbor, I'm sure, uh, was very happy uh, to have this cure. Ralph is just a speculative name. It was probably David or John, like everybody else. So now um, there are two very important facts that we need to be aware of. Before we move on, one fact that applies directly to the to this first part of the dinner party that we're looking at, uh, and the second fact kind of covers both parts uh, that we're looking at today. Fact number one, it's important for us to remember that there is absolutely nothing in the law of Moses that prohibits acts of mercy or healing on the Sabbath. None, none whatsoever, not even close. There's nothing you could even kind of stretch and make it sound like healing is prohibited on the Sabbath. That's important for us to remember. The second fact is that Jesus sees the heart. He sees through the veneer, and he sees the hearts of men and women. He sees right through our pretense, and he examines our hearts. That's important for us to know as well. Just as God the Father said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16:7, For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's how God sees all of us. What a wonderful and horrifying truth. All right. So knowing these two facts, that the Lord looks on the heart of these Pharisees, he knows their intentions, and he also knows the fact that there's no prohibition in the law of Moses for healing on the Sabbath, He just asks them simply, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they don't answer. Is that because they don't know the answer? No. They know the answer. They just don't like it. Right? Their non-answer was their answer. 
Their plan to trap Jesus had backfired. They were just hoping he was just going to heal them, and then they could accuse him. Instead, he asked them if it's against the law. They knew that Moses had not prohibited healing on the Sabbath. That's not against the law. Right? It was against the rabbinical rules. These are, uh, this is the man-made code that heaped all kinds of other requirements on people that are outside of God's word and God's will. All right, you, can, you can still find these texts in the Talmud and, and, and things like that um, where it defined how many steps can you walk on a Sabbath journey before it becomes work because you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, right? So we make all these other rules to keep us as far away from breaking the law as possible, right? We don't do that anymore, obviously, <clears throat> but uh, they're just trying to protect you, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So knowing that this poor man with dropsy was just their unwitting pawn, out of compassion for the man, Jesus healed him and sent him home. He asked them the question, is it lawful to heal or not? And they didn't answer. So he healed this man anyway and then sent him home. He didn't like, now, now you're okay, you can have your sandwich. Like, Ralph's neighbor was brought there. I'm going to stop saying that. I'm just <laughs> making myself laugh. Um, this man was brought there just as a pawn, right? Just, just as bait for the trap. And Jesus knew that. So, okay, you're healed, and you're a lot better off now, and I'm sure you can just have a sandwich at home. You don't need to be here for the rest of this because it's not about you anymore. So Jesus asked a second question. He says, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? Seems like the answer is obvious. And they could not answer him. They could not reply to these things. Could not? <laughs> would not. Right? Because he's, if we say, of course we would, he's going to nail us. And we're going to look like a bunch of jerks. Well, it's really too late. Um, but... If they said that they would not pull out their son or their ox from a well on the Sabbath, first of all, they'd be lying, right? Second of all, they would admit to giving uh, the life of their son or their livelihood provided by their ox in the name, uh, in the name of their silly man-made rules. Like, um, no, I'm going to let my son drown in a well. Well, I will see you after sunset on Saturday, and I'll pull you out then. Right. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to do that. Even if it's an ox, they're, they're still not going to well, just keep treading water, you know, and I'll be there tomorrow. If they said, of course, um, that they would pull out their kid uh, of the, out of the well on the Sabbath or their ox or whatever the case, Jesus would immediately point it out that they're treating the life of their livestock as more important than this poor neighbor, this poor sick man. Like your cows are more important than him. He is in a well. He needs to be pulled out. You're just going to leave him there? It's almost like they pushed him in the well just to set Jesus up. But, of course, we know the Lord used it for his glory. These Pharisees couldn't reply because they wouldn't reply. They refused to accept that Jesus was right. So why couldn't they reply? 
What's the one word that kept their mouths shut? Pride. Yeah, you guys are good. You have been here before. <laughs> and that's the subject of Jesus' next comments to them. And I'm sure by now that uh, these guys are regretting their little plan. Uh, it is not going well for them. Look at verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Now, I don't know uh, how often you think about uh, just how grateful you ought to be for little things. Um, but this week, as I read this text, I thought about how grateful I am for place cards at weddings, <laughs> right? To avoid, it is to avoid this scripture, exactly, right? In our culture, it's customary for the bride and the groom to assign seats at the wedding reception. And why is that? So this doesn't happen. Like, well, you know, I am the bride's second cousin's former roommate's neighbor, and so I ought to sit up in the front with the wedding party. Uh, table one, right. I know you shouldn't, right? <laughs> because that's where the bride's dad's going to sit. So get out, right? <laughs> it's just, it's such a good thing. It's such a good thing, right? It keeps people from taking seats of honor that they don't belong in, sparing them the humiliation of being asked to move. <laughs> I wrote a bunch of funny things I'm not going to read. Um <laughs> James chapter 4, verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Right? Instead of elbowing your way to the best seat, just go sit in the lowest place. Go over to the kids' table. Go sit by the bathroom. And if they want you to have a better seat, they'll come and get you. Right? God's going to do the same thing. Proverbs 25, 6 and 7 says, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it's better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Right? Which is better? You know, go stand in the back and say, no, 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 come up, come up here, come up front. Don't sit back there. You have to sit with the kids. Not that there's anything wrong with them. <laughs> I've been to weddings. There are kids. It's a mess. Jesus said in verse 10, but when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who hum exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, this seems pretty cut and dry, but it isn't. This is where it gets tricky for me. I know it doesn't for you folks. Motivation for this kind of behavior is very important. It's important because sometimes pride wears humility like a mask, right? What I mean is finding the lowest seat so that the host will come and honor you in front of every... Oh, you don't need to sit over there by the bathroom. Come up here and sit up towards the front. Oh, well, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Motivation is very, very important. Seeking this kind of attention reeks of pride just as much as elbowing your way to the front. The trick is to recognize 
what we deserve and so recognize God's grace. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's even if the proud are wearing humility like a mask. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And this is a principle that covers all of life, not just where we sit at weddings, right? In order for us to recognize the grace of God, we must humbly recognize what we truly deserve. It is an honor. It's destruction. If the wages of sin is death, like the Bible says it is, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, what does that mean about the breath you just took? It's a gift. It's grace. Every heartbeat is grace. Every breath is a gift from God. Thinking about the foxes and the chickens we talked about last week, C.S. Lewis wrote, Pride is the mother hen under which all other sins are hatched. Pride says that I come first. My needs matter most. I am special in the world. I deserve good things. I belong at the head of the line. And everybody else should recognize that about me. Now, see, you guys don't even know what I'm talking about. This is what goes through my head all the time. And Ben's. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I heard a thing um, this week in, in, in studying this, uh, a story of uh, a man that had gone to, I, th- I think it was to serve as a substitute teacher at an elementary school, and he, and he had to use the restroom, so he went into the boys' room, and over the mirror there was a sign that says, you're, you're the most special person in the world, or something like that. Now, think what you want about that. But if everybody thinks they're the most special in the world, is anybody? No. But this is, unfortunately, what we're fed all the time. You matter most. You deserve a break today, right? Your way right away. All All of that junk. However, regardless of what the world would try to tell us, Jesus our Lord, our Savior, our soon-coming King, is our great example. Paul wrote about him in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is Yours in Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Jesus is our great example. Though he deserves to sit at the head table, he washed his disciples' feet. Though he deserves the throne, he humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death on the cross. He humbled himself truly, and God exalted him eternally, and he is our example. Praise his glorious grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder of just who we are and what our standing is before you without Jesus. That we don't deserve to be first in line. We deserve to be destroyed. And we are so grateful for your amazing grace. Every breath, every heartbeat, we know is a gift from you. Because of your great love for us, you sent your son to take the place on the cross that we deserve because of our sin. You bore the penalty for our disobedience that we might be forgiven. You paid the price that we could never pay on a debt that you did not owe. And we are so thankful. May our lives be lived as a reflection of our gratefulness to your great grace. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.